Dave Kerr of the Chicago Tribune says it's an honorable effort, touched by a certain lightness and grace. The nation's Stuart Clowens calls it a buddy picture with one buddy missing, a road movie without much to see along the way. And Jay Boyar of the Orlando Sentinel calls it a fascinating, often very moving, frequently funny film. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Rain Man. Which one will it be? Now I'm recording. Oh, that's a little hot. Now I'm recording. Now I'm recording. Sorry, just getting my levels right. Greetings, Starfighters. It's time for Ruined Childhoods, your favorite podcast about movie remakes, reboots, sequels, prequels, spinoffs, musical adaptations, graphic novels, novelizations, cave paintings, tapestries, any way that old ideas can be recycled, we talk about it. Dan, this is not Hi, my John. Fav- this is not my favorite podcast about cave paintings. I'm just well, saying. I didn't say just about cave paintings. You got it. Oh, like, oh, that includes that includes everything, plus cave paintings. Well, yeah, I'm just saying cave paintings could come into the into the discussion. I'm not saying this is. We're not focusing on cave paintings. We're not going to start with that. It's just it could end up. We could end up there. This is this is entirely possible. Yes. Who knows? We could end up by the end of this episode talking about. A Rain Man cave painting. <laughs> uh, before we get really into things, I got to tell everybody. Oh, yeah. You know, we kind of blew it. And by we that, did. I mean, Dan and I were in the same place at the same time. And we decided, nah, I don't think recording is happening. So then we went our separate ways to our respective cities, Seattle and Portland. And here we are. Well, and to and to complete the picture, provide a little context here. Uh, we did my my stay in particular in New Jersey was incredibly brief. I was I was there for um, twenty seven hours. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So we didn't have that much opportunity, and we were there, and, and we were in town celebrating uh, our grandmother's hundredth birthday. That's right. In 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 the words to quote Iko Iko, my grandma and your grandma. So this is true. Um, I there was no sitting by the fire. We had discussed p- potentially uh, recording outside of the now closed, soon to reopen Cranford Movie Theater where we uh, saw many, many movies growing up. Yeah, I mean, I you know I could tell you <laughs> which ones. I know you could. I have. I have. <laughs> um, we've barely scratched the surface on that, but that's that's another story for another time. So, but yeah, no, we were th- we were there, but our we had there was kind of a singular mission, at least my, I had a singular mission. John was able to kind of stick around and spend a couple of days. I did. But... It was like zip in, party with grandma, 
zip back out. And party we did. Yeah, absolutely. We had a great time. It was a great visit. And if any of our, if we have any new listeners from that party, shout out Uncle Gary, if you're listening. (laughs) Eileen, thank you for, Eileen, cousin Eileen hit the subscribe button with me right there. That's how you know the love is real. And I, we will not get an unsubscribe. All right. A bold prediction. Cardinal curse. I guess we just better not blow it. No, not at all. But I'm uh I'm sure that I'm sure that whoever is listening will appreciate this episode. Perhaps this might be a good episode to to launch with to We're talking about yourself. we're talking about a truly classic movie, an Oscar-winning movie, a movie that was at number 1 for like 18 weeks in a row. I think I read. Yeah, it didn't o- didn't open at number 1. Is that true? It opened well. It opened up against Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which took the number oh. one box office spot that weekend. Dirty um, Rotten I, Scoundrels I, recently rebooted as The Hustle with Rebel Wilson right. and Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Was it? Um, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I'm getting this from Box Office Mojo. This is not. I don't have this recall, but uh, I remember that. I I remember kind of that Rain Man. It wasn't like this big hyped you know release at least not for me granted i was 11 when it came out well it's a drama and it was number one for the year it was number one for the it year beating won who the framed Academy roger rabbit and coming to america and big and twins the Die naked Hard, gun naked gun yeah. cocktail yeah. also with uh t cruise cocktail Big Top Peewee, also with Valeria Galino. De- that did not come anywhere close Is to the top Is her name 10. pronounced Valeria? I always thought what it was Valeria. It was? Valeria? I don't know. I thought it was Valeria. Valeria I mean, I sounds know. like a uh, Like a, a disease. disease, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, but Valeria sounds like, uh, like a mall? I don't know. The Glendale Valeria Galina? The Glendale Valerina, yeah, it's where they filmed part of Inner Space and Terminator Two, and um, which I mean, by the way, the glass elevators. You know, I, I have to say the movies that I remember her from, which is this Hot Shots, Big Top Pee Wee. She's excellent. Yeah, and it's she, fantastic in Hot Shots. She was so so she, good. In Hot she Hot really, Shots. yeah. And it's kind of like what happened. And great, and great in Big Top Pee Wee. She is great in Big Top Pee Wee. Yeah. It's a mixed bag of a film, but that's not what we're here to talk about. It's a truly weird film. It's very, very yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. 1988 in general, if we can just take a moment to kind sure. of pause on the year of 1988. So 1988. I turned I remember... five years old. You turn 11. Yeah. That's true. Yes. And... I just, I remember kind of like that the movies that year were more, I felt like the year before there was a lot of like big movies and they were these like big, you know, whether it was movies for like for, for our kids and movies that were on our radar to like, to bigger things like well, a Beverly Hills Cop. The number one or, movie that year was Three Men and a Baby. Right. Three Men and a Baby, but also Fatal Attraction was like the number two or two. three. It was mm-hmm. up there. Number two. Beverly yeah. Hills Cop um, was three. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I rem I remember the Beverly Hills. I remember Beverly Hills Cop 2 having a ton of hype. And then I remember the next year, it was like that summer. It just like the the movies weren't as, I don't know, fun, flashy. And I mean, granted, we're talking about a summer where you had Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Big, Caddyshack 2, uh, Short when, Circuit 2. Oh, Because <laughs> Beetlejuice was 88. When did Run in? Yeah, Beetlejuice, I think. Was that, was think that more of a Halloween-y release? No, no, no. It was a spring release. Oh, I that opened actually April. March 30th, I'm looking at. March. Yeah, March 30th. Interesting. So yeah, and Beetlejuice. Yeah, no, Beetle, Beetlejuice was one of those that, what I mean, what I remember of it, because it's, you think of it as like a late spring movie, but that's because I think Beetlejuice had like some real staying power and uh -huh. kind of picked up from, from word of mouth. But I remember just feeling like the, the movies that I saw in 1988 were either like they were too old, like they, they were a they went over my head or they just weren't that good. Like I remember seeing Crocodile Dundee too. I didn't see it in the theater, but mm -hmm. I remember just feeling like, Oh, that's disappointing. And same thing with short circuit too. Uh -huh. And it wasn't, I mean, the, the bar wasn't set so high, but still. And, and I remember like, I'll be honest with you and I know I'm going to catch heat for this, but like, I, I've never been the biggest fan of big. It's just, really? it's never been a standout for me. It's never, yeah. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but maybe I think it's like the, the concept and the, the kind of drama. I don't know. Like that the concept might be, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's just not like the, like father, like son, vice versa. Well, more off in, the wall body switch. Right. But well, this in, isn't really a body switch. It's a body morph. It's a time. I don't know. It's a body morph. Yeah. It's a body morph. So yeah. What also things like vice versa and like father like son, they embrace the supernatural aspects of it a lot more. Whereas in big, right, the Zoltar machine is like. Let's not talk about that anymore. So much aside from the fact no. that it does what it does. Yeah. It just yeah, does we what it does. We really, yeah, we're not here to, we're not, we're not, we're not this here to This is a movie about, about big, relationships. But... Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And, and friendships. yeah, it just, you know, friendships. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I just never, uh, I never took to it as other people did. That's fair. But anyway, so 1988 was kind of like just one of those, like twins was a big 1988 movie. But then you have Rain Man and it's kind of like, this is the, I do, I remember a lot of like the Oscar nominees that you're like working girl and gorillas in the mist uh -huh. and other movies that didn't have Sigourney Weaver in them, mm -hmm. which, you know, that's too bad for them. Cause she's amazing. But <laughs> I'm a fan of Sigourney Weaver. I, yeah, I really, great. in and she just like runs the gamut and she's like, and we always, you know, we think of, when you think of female actresses who can do anything. She's wonderful. You think Meryl Streep, but, but then you think about Sigourney Weaver and the roles that she's had and the work that she's done. And I mean, and man, Meryl's and what a name, how, how many, yeah. How many aliens has Meryl Streep defeated? How many ghosts have kidnapped Meryl Streep's babies? She, yeah, a dingo. Well, you're in the outback, Meryl. 
I yeah, like how you but referenced you know what? Ghostbusters 2 and not her involvement. Like, she was possessed by demons, <laughs> essentially, in, in the first Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. And you're no, talking I about know, Janos but just... stealing her baby. Well, because there's a parallel to Meryl Streep with a cry in the in the is it a cry in the dark, a cry in the wild, the one with the dingo ate my baby, that one. Dan, I want to congratulate you on being the first person to parallel Meryl Streep's performance in that movie to Sigourney Weaver's baby being stolen in Ghostbusters Two. No one's ever made that. I I guarantee you, no one's ever made that connection. I challenge the internet. I challenge you. Find an earlier reference that makes the parallel between <laughs> Sigourney Weaver losing, uh, having baby Oscar, <laughs> baby Oscar kidnapped by ya- a ghost Janos dressed as well possessed Janos. He is alive, but he is possessed. Oh, sorry, he's possessed, but he can fly and he's in drag. And he kidnaps Sigourney Weaver's baby, Oscar, who, by the way, without any, I think, magical help, just kind of walks out on the ledge of the... Yeah, that was all Oscar. Yeah, that was all Oscar. Um, But anyway, yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, how do you play that? Like, you know... you can re- Meryl Streep can research and play how she, the character was a real person in that Sigourney Weaver had nothing to work with, but her own instincts. And yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. I love you, Sigourney. Sigourney okay. Weaver can go from being uh, an art conservator to a concert cellist performing at Lincoln center within a span of years in the same movie universe. The Ghostbusters movie Five years. Universe, of course. Five years. You can make that switch. Yeah. No. She's, yeah, she's magical. Anyway. Um, but but so, we're talking about Rain Man. We're here to talk about Rain Man. Yes. Uh, starring starring Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. who who we know was in Moonlight Mile with Susan Sarandon. Yeah, and Tom Lorenzo's Cruise, Oil. who was in Tropic Thunder with Nick Nolte. Who is also in Lorenzo's Oil. Lorenzo's Correct. Oil. Yes. Uh, for those of you listening Absolutely. for the first time, what we like to do is take the an, an actor from the movie that we're talking about and see how we can connect them with the cast of Lorenzo's Oil. Right. Why, why are we doing this? We don't exactly know, but it's a it fun happened. exercise for our we brains. Like it. it's, we didn't expect this wave to come along, but we're going to damn well ride we're it. We're riding it. That wave of Lorenzo's oil. Oh, so, yeah. So, we're talking... Yeah. So, also, so, I know I I haven't prepared anything for this, so I'm not going to launch into anything, but I'm sure that you could make a lot... Like, this... Okay, anybody who's in, like, film school and needs to, like, write a thesis paper, maybe something exploring the connections between Rain Man and Twins. Seriously. They both have scenes when they get the where suits? they have matching suits. But that's, you know, just the tip of the iceberg. The dancing? That's right. Teaches them how to dance. Tonight is your night, bro. <laughs> I wish Tom Cruise had sung that to Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, those two movies my have so many similarities. It's kind of oh, amazing. Oh, I... Oh, for sure. So I definitely, definitely noticed For that. anybody who needs a refresher on Rain Man... It is the story of uh, 
Charlie Babbitt, we'll start with, uh, who is a uh, a car dealer, like a luxury car dealer, who is in a... Imports. Bit, yeah, a, a bit of a pickle where he has these cars that are he can't legally sell, and he's put down a lot of money for them, and his business is on the line if he can't unload these cars. What's up? He can't sell them because they did not pass EPA. They're Italian imports. Right. So, and they did not pass EPA standards. So once again, um, taking a cue from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters <laughs> yeah, Ghostbusters, where the EPA are the like the villains. Once again, we have the EPA being villainized in, in Reagan era movies. <laughs> wow. That's another thesis for all of you uh, cinephiles out there. Uh, yep. So he's stressed out and he is about to go on a little weekend trip with his girlfriend, uh, Valeria, <laughs> Valeria. Go Valeria. Um, and uh, who, who works for him as well. And he yes. gets a call while they're in the car that his father has passed away and the funeral's in Cincinnati. And uh, Charlie and his father had a big falling out centered mostly around uh, his 1949 Buick. Is that what it was? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, this car that he never let Charlie drive and Charlie took it out after getting a very good report card. I like how he said mo- almost straight A's. He he did not get straight A's, but he got close. So yeah. uh, he felt like he deserved to take this car out. They had this huge falling out because he ended up reporting the car stolen, which uh, resulted in the cops uh, arresting Charlie and his dad didn't bail him out for like a few days. Two days. Two days. He spent two days. Yeah. And that was a Buick Roadmaster. There you Remember go. about 1949 Buick Roadmaster. Yeah. So um what's up? Is that one of the did, did Saul Barra buy that car? Not to my knowledge. I think he has the driving Miss Daisy car. He does a yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, just to explain just to explain, we we know someone who owns the car from driving Miss Daisy. I mean we could we could ask him if he's got the Rain Man car. That'd be interesting. His response is going to be, not yet. <laughs> so uh, uh, when he, after the funeral, he has the will read to him, which states that he gets the car and that the rest of his estate, which is like $3 million, it's not crazy it, It's money. $2 million or $3 million. Yeah, it's like yeah. $3 million, um, uh, has gone to for a trust. And he ends up tracking down... Uh, where this trust is, you know, that, who has the name of it or whatever. And it ends up being this uh, home for people with developmental disabilities. And uh, while he is there trying to figure out how to get the money, he encounters Raymond, uh, who recognizes the car and just gets in and starts rattling off information about the car. And uh, it is revealed that... They have the same father. They are indeed brothers. And um, the money for the trust is meant for Raymond. Charlie feels like he is entitled to half of it. So his plan is to first kidnap Raymond, essentially, and hold him hostage, basically, for the ransom money of what he feels he is owed. 
Uh, he's a real piece of shit. He is a real piece of shit. So, um, what we're what we haven't gone over yet is that uh, Raymond is an autistic savant. Um, he is uh, on the. He is a very. I, I forget exactly the terminology that they use, but he is a high functioning um, autistic, and um, he has trouble. You know, he has sensory issues and you know certain communication issues, and he's extremely good with numbers. He re- remembers baseball stats and uh, all sorts of really fascinating things. It's like numbers are what makes sense to him. Except for money. In this world. He does not understand money. No, no. That's right. Yeah. Which which to Tom which to, to Charlie, the numbers and money, it's inter everything is everything about money. Everything is about money. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Charlie sees Raymond as a way of getting out of his situation. This is a brother he never knew that he had, or at least didn't remember that he had. Uh, they, their father, uh, sorry, their mother died when Charlie was like two. And I think that was around the time when Raymond went off to live at, um, this facility. It, I think it would have been, yeah, I, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I didn't write that down, but since Raymond is sent off after burning the baby. Right. That. So I think he's, I think it's actually like he's, I think the mother dies like pretty soon after Charlie's born. If I remember correctly. Um, Either way there, um, he gets sent off to live in this facility and now they are reconnected. It starts off as a scheme, uh, a really awful scheme. And, um, oh yeah. What's what's uh, Valeria Galina's name in the in the film? Oh geez, hold on. Um, <laughs> well, she no, I... she is being um, she is told that it's everything. Oh, Susanna, Susanna. Susanna. So Susanna is told that everything yeah. is on the up and up. That he's taking him, and they're gonna go, you know, back to L.A. and check out a Dodgers game and whatever. Um, so she is being lied to, and. Uh, the the rest of the movie is a um, a road movie to get back to L.A. so that Charlie can pay off his debts. Um, but over that course of time, uh, there's a rift with Susanna, and slowly, the uh, Raymond and, and Charlie uh, form a really strong bond. And Charlie, what's up? I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's another twins parallel here. Because isn't isn't uh, Vincent Benedict also like? Doesn't he owe? I know yes, he, he owes the Klein brothers money. Yeah. So he's in debt, and he goes. He's got this scheme too because he's got right. the thing in the car. Yeah. So right. just if you're hmm. if you're keeping track, if you're following along at home, th- that's like the the connections here are, are stacking up They're quite nicely. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, without going into too many more details just about the plot, but uh, there is a moment where, uh, towards the end, where uh, Charlie kind of uses Raymond's uh, 
number skills to count cards in Vegas and make back, you know, the money that he owes for these, the, the down payment for the cars. And, um, but the two of them have a lot of really strong moments together, such as where uh, Charlie teaches Raymond to dance. Um, they, they have some moments where Raymond reveals the nickname that Charlie had for him when he was a, a yeah. kid, which was Rain Man. And he recalls this and, you know, he, they, I don't know, they really do form a bond. Although with Raymond, it's hard to see it because of his, you know, disability. But you definitely see it a lot with Charlie. Well, and where you see it with Raymond is that he becomes comfortable, and this is what the dance scene shows really well. Mm-hmm. He becomes comfortable with with physical contact, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, and that's not that's um, fairly common um, among people with autism. It is that you know, a contact and and touch can be very uh, upsetting, mm-hmm. and it kind of like disrupts that that security and we really you really see that with with Raymond especially towards because there's that one part where Charlie wants to give him a hug yeah and he bugs he out loses it, yeah 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 so I, it's a it's a really touching movie I was watching it on the plane on my phone and I was getting very choked up um, especially mm-hmm. at the very end um, I mean it's I you can't really say that this is a spoiler because this movie came out, you know. It's over thirty years. Over thirty. It's years. over thirty years. Yeah, the statute of limitations is totally up on oh. spoiling the end of Raymond. Well, but yeah. uh, Rain uh, Raymond gets uh, he's being sent back to was it Walbrook? Is that what it's called? Walbrook. Walbrook, yeah. which is the facility in Cincinnati, um, because he it, it's deemed that. Charlie is not in the position to care for him and um, Raymond can't make the decision on his own. So he's sent back and, you know, when they're saying their goodbyes at the train, it's, you know, he says to him, like, I'm going to see you in two weeks. And he's like, you know, what day is that? And he's like, today is the Wednesday. And that means that, you know, and um, it's just a really, really beautiful moment. And it's like you really believe that Charlie is a very changed person. I mean, this is somebody that he was kidnapping for ransom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was also like he was just so he was bitter because all he thought, you know, he had this thing hidden from him and he was and I think, you know, he was kind of holding it against Raymond. And what changes is he realizes that you know Raymond and I think like he really realizes this with the you know when he finds out about the the hot water burn baby right. and that you know how he was burnt by the bathwater. yeah so um, I think he kind of sees out, that like that comes out by the way when uh, Charlie is drawing a bath or like a shower or something in one of the, like the motel rooms and they're in a motel yeah. yeah and the water is really hot and Raymond has an episode because the water is so hot and it that's kind of how it's revealed. He sees, well, he sees the, the the hot water and he sees Charlie sitting next to the mm-hmm. bathtub and he puts the two together and yeah, yeah it's, he really, yeah. Um, 
is is disturbed by it. So I think that's kind of one of those moments where Charlie realizes like I'm holding this all against him and he clearly has nothing there's no malintent by by Raymond. Yeah. Um so yeah, so the develop the development of the relationship is is really nice. And I I mean, you know, Dustin Hoffman won best actor. Yeah. But Tom Cruise I think, you know, this is a time when Tom Cruise was still really acting. I mean, he is a phenomenal movie star. And I love watching him, even though he's like 100 years old and, you know, kicking so much ass. Like, yeah, he's just those Mission Impossible movies. They're so good. He's so much fun to watch. They keep getting better. And, you know, he does his own stunts. Like all that stuff is just like, yeah. You you can't not enjoy watching him do his thing, and he and he did like he has had a comeback. Like he had a not so hot period back about like I remember by by the time Mission Impossible three came out, uh-huh. people because he had gone on it was like he had gone on Oprah and jumped oh, on the couch the about Katie Holmes stuff. and. Right all the Scientology business and he really lost out. I remember like, it was like no one was going to see Tom Cruise movies anymore. Yeah. Uh, and hey, Mission Impossible three was great, but it didn't Seymour do well. Hoffman is incredible uh, in it. Uh, so if you don't mind my asking, what's your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Ooh, this is a good pop quiz. All right. Well, well, this this is a two-parter. Favorite Tom Cruise movie mm-hmm. and favorite Tom Cruise performance. Oh, okay. All right. So my favorite Tom Cruise movie, and you know, he's he's done so much that I have to I have to consult IMD, IMDB here. So I can run through a lot of the ones I really like. I aside from Mission Impossible 2, I'm a fan of the series. Two can screw off um he's great in collateral which is not necessarily a movie that i've watched over and over again but it's an interesting one but it's yeah it's really good he's different of course he's great in in a few good men uh you know which and that's i'm directing the play Mm -hmm. currently and so that's always there i um so all right my favorite performance now that i've scrolled through and by the way if you've never seen have you ever seen taps yeah he's awesome in taps not a huge role but no he's very but good. he he gets your attention um all right so and it's hard to pick a favorite performance but i'm gonna go with my favorite tom cruise performance being Born on the 4th of July. Really? Ron Kovic. I mean, I, I don't know. Like Rain Man, his performance in, in yeah. Rain Man is is fantastic. His performance, I mean, honestly, I thought he was great in Jerry Maguire. I, he is great in Jerry Maguire. Yeah. I like him. And I, you know, I like Eyes Wide Shut. I, but, um, so I would have to say overall that that's probably my favorite performance of his. It was Ron Kovic. I think he kind of, he as I think he disappears into that role. That's kind of like the least Tom Cruise. You know, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I need to revisit it. 
It's a tough one. It's a really, oh. it's a hard movie to watch, but it is so freaking good. Um, and I'd have to say maybe my favorite Tom Cruise movie overall. I love Minority Report. It's very my, good. One of my favorite. I mean, movie. it could be that that could be my favorite, like Steven Spielberg of the new century, right? Like the Steven Spielberg movies since the year two thousand. Um, so I would have to go. Favorite Tom Cruise movie. I mean, geez, I haven't. I liked Valkyrie. Um, <laughs> my favorite Tom Cruise movies. My favorite Tom Cruise movie is. See if I repeat it enough, I'll 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 decide on an answer. I I think I might have to go with Minority Report, but runners up. And I hope you're thinking of your answers while I'm rattling this on because you have to answer this question too but the color of money Mm -hmm. outstanding performance outstanding movie 1980s scorsese right paul newman mary elizabeth master antonio um i do enjoy days of thunder (laughs) i don't know if you've ever seen it that does not fall under. I mean, his Magnolia is. I mean, it's hard to compare Magnolia to other movies because Magnolia is such a an epic. There's very few movies that I think you can really compare it to, but he's quite awesome in that. And I mean, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Minority Report as my overall favorite a, Tom Cruise movie. That's an but interesting choice. I mean, I like it. That could, but honestly, like you could ask me tomorrow and it could be a different answer. Right. So, I mean, but today it's Minority Report. My answer for performance and movie are the same, and they are Magnolia. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, that movie. Like when I first, it took me three sessions to watch it because it was just so much that I needed to just like stop for a bit. Oh, I saw it in the theater. <laughs> what theater? Did and you I see feel it like in? we can Menlo Park. Okay, <laughs> um, but I feel like we can it, on New Year's Day, uh, to, New Year's Day two thousand. I'm pretty sure is when I saw it. But and I don't, I don't think that's one we're going to really talk about. <laughs> There's no way to talk about that one. I mean, do you do a sequel? <laughs> no. Um, you could prequel that. You could prequel the hell out of Magnolia. You sure okay? could. I'm just going to lay that down. But yeah, so. But yeah, I, I can't, I there's very few responses where I would, I, and it's an opinion question, so I sure. wouldn't really have any argument, but there's very few where I would say, really? You know, and- Say, really, that's your number one? And Magnolia, Tom Cruise's character, you know, he's this successful guy, estranged from his father, who has, I mean, in this case, has he- has you know he returns to his father on his deathbed um what's up tom cruise has daddy issues in a lot of movies because if his character in a few good men mm. also has issues with his estranged being estranged from his from his father really um in vanilla sky doesn't isn't his character like i don't remember much kind of about trying to that get out movie, from the shadow that sounds about right in the firm, it's his brother. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other ones, but I think Top Gun, doesn't he have some... I think so. 
So yeah, that's kind of a thing. And Jerry Maguire. And then I'll ask the same question about Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. So, all right. So, well, actually, so, I mean, what are your thoughts, John? I went first on Tom Cruise. Oh. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, hold on, I'm pulling up. Uh, He's oh. had more of a career. I need more stall time. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Well, I mean, Tom Cruise has had such a huge career. Like I'd say it's, somewhat comparable um i yeah. think that my favorite mo- movie that dustin hoffman has been in might be i heart huckabees um i just love it i know it's not everybody's yeah. cup of tea but it just like really does it for me and i think that the um the whole concept of it and the humor behind it is just it is my type of humor it's it I Heart Huckabees for me, it might not there's definitely there's definitely portions of it that I really appreciate. It might not be my go-to movie, but I have a, a lot of respect for that movie just for really it it, it has a direction. Like mm-hmm. it has a definite like it's a defined movie. It's just very different and it's presented in a very different way mm-hmm. that I think and I think a lot of filmmakers were doing that around like early two thousands, like um, Spike right. Jones. Well, it's Spike Jones um, and David Charlie o. Russell. That you know, there's a lot of similarities yeah. there. Uh, as far as performance goes, that's a really tough one um, because I feel like it, in like later in his career, he does play a lot of this like similar types of characters, like. In I Heart Huckabees, his character is a lot like his role in Stranger Than Fiction. Um, mm. I mean, clearly he's great in Rain Man and, you know, The Graduate. Uh, it's really hard to to pick a performance, though, that really... I mean, you know, I guess Midnight Cowboy. Maybe Midnight <sighs> Cowboy. It's really hard to say. You know what I'm going to go with? And and I mean, yeah, really, it's, you know, Dustin Hoffman, you look at the roles, it's like, oh, that one or that one. And I think what I come down to, and I I mean, I love all the President's Men. He's amazing. Oh, that's, that. my, that's it. That's it. I forgot about that Is one. that your favorite overall Hoffman movie? No, movie would be Huckabee's performance would be. So Huckabee's. Oh, you, so that's performance for you. Because also you've got Lenny. Yeah, um, but Lenny... And I think that this goes, uh, I think that- Here's what I'm going to do. Well, here's the difference. Okay. Okay. Lenny Bruce and Carl Bernstein, two people that are real people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly there's something to go off of. I feel like Lenny Bruce is such a, at at that time also, is like such a defined personality. Like that's somebody that was, you know, in the public eye in a way- uh, people knew yeah. who he was for better or for worse, uh, whether they liked mm-hmm. him or not. Carl Bernstein is somebody who, you know, you wouldn't have known about him until, you know, even after. Well, the, well, the I mean, they they published the book and they I did, mean, so but he's, most people but they did, but he's not a they're visibly not, public. People person. don't know what he looks like. Right. People people might not have known what he looked like. And so for so. that, I'd say, and you know, thinking about all the president's men and those scenes like where he's, 
you know, going to meet people to interview and the way that he takes notes and all the, you know, mm-hmm. those things. I feel like he was, he was so believable to me as being a journalist at that time. Like, Oh, I, I feel oh, like Lenny, question. it's an impeccable film. I feel like Lenny, you're really trying to be the person. Whereas all the presence men, he's trying to be the, I don't know that profession. He's, Mm. Yeah, he's bringing okay. you into that world yeah. more. Um, yes. Also, yeah. yeah, shout out slash pour one out, Bob Fosse, director of Lenny. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd have to pour a lot out for Bob Fosse. <laughs> a bottle of pills. Um. So so okay. Here's so I'm I'm narrowing it down. So for I mean, the graduate just incredibly influential, and he was also like the casting of Dustin Hoffman in that role. They actually they wanted Robert Redford. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> they wanted like Robert Redford, Ryan O'Neill, and and you know Mike Nichols fought to cast Dustin Hoffman, and I I mean he's just he per- he's perfect. He captures yeah. he captures everything about that role. He does it, and what I like about Dustin Hoffman, and this is it's similar to like you know to to Tom Cruise, but. You know, he doesn't, the characters don't necessarily have to be likable, yeah. but they're believable. Yeah. And yeah, because Benjamin is not that likable. No, not at I all. I don't think. He's a sleaze. Um, and he's amazing. And then speaking of sleaze, he's also incredible in Midnight Cowboy, which is not a movie I've seen nearly as, I've seen it once. And I remember it being like a lot to handle. So I haven't really gone back to it. It's also but pretty sleazy was, and tootsie too. Well, yeah, and that's another performance that that just kind of rocks my world. It's also, but it, it, he's almost he's sim in that movie. He's similar to to Charlie Babbitt, to Tom Cruise in Rain Man, because he he deve- from his experience from doing something that's initially like you know douchey and kind mm-hmm. of self centered, he comes to grow as a person. Right. So. Um, you know, I think my favorite Dustin Hoffman performance that I'm going to go with, Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog is great. I keep coming back to it. And he, in that movie, just like, I feel like his last scene in that movie, there's so much going on because it, it's like, it's almost like he understands what's happening and and the moment. And De Niro is... yeah phenomenal in that that's as well. such a good movie i love it yeah fantastic just like and yeah i think that that one especially that's aged really well and it's worth yeah. seeing so many great great actors in in that too um you got will willie nelson dennis leary and kirsten, kirsten dunst yeah um anyway we're not talking about wag the dog but that's my favorite dustin hoffman we performance are. My favorite overall Dustin Hoffman movie. I mean, man, it's tough, but I think I got to go with Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I've never seen that one. I probably shouldn't go with it. Um, I, I think I. It's a tough call, but I got to go with The Graduate. Okay, that's I, fair. I mean, The Graduate or All the President's Men. All the President's Men is really great. I listened to this podcast um, 
I don't know if you've heard of it, Unspooled. It's uh, Paul oh, yeah. Shear yeah, and yeah. I'm blanking on the his co-host's name, but she is like a film critic. Um, but it's a really excellent exploration of, I think it's like the AFI top 100 movies. They just kind of Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he does that with uh, Amy, Nicholson. Amy Nicholson. Amy Nicholson, that's right. And, Amy Nicholson, yeah. Uh, their episode on All the President's Men is really, really f- interesting. Um, and it, it's a good listen. I recommend it. Yeah, I don't know why I'm not listening to this more. <laughs> it's very good. It's uh, it's very Sorry, well done. I'm, just, I'm, like looking, I'm like looking at the episode descriptions. And I'm like, why, why am I not listening to this more? Yeah, it's a that lot sounds... of fun. Um, yeah. And so, Dan, what would you do now with rain man so i mean and first i i I mean we kind of talked about this the other the other day so i will say um even though while i definitely remember rain man playing at the cranford theater i was i was not yet seeing r-rated movies in the theater Uh i it was it was almost definitely a blockbuster night definitely when definitely a blockbuster night um i I remember my sixth grade teacher, like when we came back from winter break that year, I remember like my sixth grade teacher talking about how she went to see like, I think Rain Man and Cocoon, The Return. She's like, do you guys see Rain Man? You're like, we're in sixth grade. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I remember her mentioning it and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so watched it. At, at home and it was really the first time I think for a lot of people especially people my age I think it was the first time we knew like heard of autism right or what autism is and we you know it, we live in a world now where and especially you know for me working in education you know, it's really, it's, it's ubiquitous. You, we've got, there's so many more people. I don't know if I just used that word correctly, by the way, if I didn't, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. it's late, but um, it, it's something like people understand so much more about autism and we know because at that time, I mean, I remember that it was like, oh, if you heard that someone was autistic or had autism, you just thought they were like Rain Man. And it's like, oh, okay, they can count toothpicks if I drop them right. on the floor. And there wasn't as much awareness of of the spectrum of autism, which is kind of, which is how we now, you know, see it, that there's a spectrum and that people can be affected differently and have, um, you know, different different particularities right and also i feel like uh even after this movie came out it was still many years later that it really became a bigger topic of conversation i mean if you ask kids going to school now if they if they know anyone with autism i mean they are probably in classes with kids who have autism and you know, it's, it's a spectrum and there's no, you, you know, it's like, you can't just assume, okay, this kid has autism. So I need to do X, Y, and Z. You kind of need to figure out, you know, what that kid's autism requires from you. 
So what I would do now, um, so I think that a loose remake could work because of the awareness of that we have now. I think that casting would be would be difficult, and I, I mean, you would definitely do a, a real overhaul of it. Like this would be yeah. a. Yeah, this would not be a remake that that feels that all that much like the original for for a lot of reasons. But I I also I think that you know between what all we know about autism plus everything that we know and know and you know all the practices of casting and um you know like a culturally appropriate and accurate casting I mean, that kind of, I think, comes into play. And if you're not going to have an actor with autism play Raymond, you need to have an actor who you know is going to be just respectful of the character and the material and really, and is really careful. So the person who I would kind of nominate to play Raymond would be Sam Rockwell. That was the first person that I thought of. I just, I feel like he is an actor. He's an actor who I would trust with that role because I'll do respect to Dustin Hoffman and his performance, but that role would require a lot more nuance and a lot more specificity. There were a lot of times during the movie where I thought to myself, well, that's not consistent. Why isn't he having this reaction or why Mm. isn't he doing this or that. And I, I felt like, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested to see what Sam Rockwell would do with the role. Of course, there's no saying that this would have to be like, this could be, you know, women, this could be the story is what matters. You could have the story of a, of two siblings, one sibling who was, was who's older and is put and you know is kind of hidden away and and taken away right during the childhood of um perhaps living you know, on when, an when, island where he's nurtured to be super smart and strong sorry that was yeah, twins exactly. that was twins that was twins sorry learns how to count cards yeah and so that would kind of be that would be my remake idea and you know, it would just be loose, but you'd keep the basic story of the the younger sibling and the older sibling being not even, like reunited, but basically united in the circumstances where the younger sibling is in a is in a fix and the money is really important. Right. So I think the character keeping the characters the same and the basic plot the same, but then you would have, and I mean, you could still have Vegas. I mean, like that, I don't think that's changed. Right. Probably the same carpets, you know, the same blackjack tables. (laughs) This is probably some of the same people at the slot machines. Very well could be. Um, And then I also wondered about a prequel, but my thought about a prequel, and it would kind of be about, you know, San- Sanford and, um, I forget Sanford the, Babbitt, the name the of the father. father. S- Sanford Babbitt, yeah. About the parents raising Raymond, because Raymond doesn't go to Walbrook until he's, what, 18? 18, yeah. 19? Yeah. So, 
what, you know, it's like, what is the story of this family in the 1950s? 40s, 50s, yeah. 50s? Um, what What is the story of this family who they seem to be well off raising a child, an autistic savant, mm-hmm. at a time when not much was known? And really what happened to, you know, it's like if they didn't have money, he would have just been thrown in an institution and not like a Walbrook where it's really you know, nice. And they, and he's got someone like this Dr. Brunner who takes care of him and they have these really like lovely grounds. That's not the situation if you're not loaded. (laughs) So, you know, like you, you just kind of be, it's more like the, you know, where Bruce Willis ends up in 12 monkeys where he meets uh, Brad Pitt's character. I, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, I feel like, but I feel like that would be kind of how the difference would feel. And I, I just thought, I was like, well, that would be an interesting story, but I don't know if that would be a movie or if that would be like a novel. Right. Hmm. Like a fan fiction, a Rain Man fan fiction, where about, about you know, uh, two parents who have a what at the time is a very mysterious and unique problem, you know, not problem challenge. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts? Where do you, where do you stand here? Well, before I say where I kind of landed on this, um, I did want to shout out a movie that is not, and I'm going to be very clear about this, not the same, but has similarities. And um, I, I've heard a lot about it, but I have not actually yet seen it. But The Peanut Butter Falcon, which is a journey movie about um, this one guy who befriends a man, uh, a young man with Down syndrome. And it's kind of their uh, experience together and how um, Shia LaBeouf's character, who is um, the one who befriends the gentleman with Down syndrome, who... Uh, mm-hmm. is played by somebody with Down syndrome. Uh, and it's kind of how he t- kind of nurtures him in ways that he never had in the home where he was living. And uh, mm. so I just Isn't want- he trying to become a wrestler? I, there's a whole wrestling thing to it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly. But I, I feel like there's some similarities with, with this movie. Not that- down syndrome and autism are the same by any means, but developmental disabilities. Well, just, the, yeah, the, the basic, yeah, mm-hmm. the basic, the basic plot. And, and it's funny. Cause I thought you were, it made me, when you said that, I all of a sudden thought, wow, there was another movie from 1988. That's kind of similar about two brothers where one has um, special needs and Dominic and Eugene I, starring Ray Liotta and Tom Hulse, which I've never seen. I don't know that one, but I remember, I remembered it and I was like, wait, that was the same year. Huh. And it was, yeah, they're twins. They're twins, but Tom Hulse's character is a little slow during an accident in his youth. Got it. I'm just reading the so, synopsis here. Yeah. yeah. So like um, TBI or yeah, something. Yeah, they lived. Eugene is going to medical school and, you know, um, he has to make a choice yeah. at a certain point. So anyway. So, um, but basically my thoughts about this and, you know, I definitely thought about the remake route and how that would go. And it's like, this is one of those movies where it's like watching it now, it still holds up. 
I uh, there the only things that are really changed are cell phones and computers. You know, there's really sorry what I I, I mean I I would say there's there's a there's some other things that don't hold up. Um, the pretty liberal use of of the word retard. Yes, in describing but I, Raymond. But I will say this: he uses that word at the beginning when he is. Uh, Charlie Babbitt version 1.0. And yeah. it's not unfathomable to think that he would use that word even today, even though it's, I mean, I, yeah, no, I, yeah, not a word that is appropriate to say. Um, it's still said and by people who are very ignorant. Um, yeah. And he doesn't say yeah, it. So he says it, you know, in moments of, you know, passionate anger and frustration and my, I've are you do- trying to justify the character's use of the word or the screen I'm trying to justify how it makes sense that this character would say that yes no i i i agree but i feel like it the context it's presented in is because he's not the only one who says it there's sure, other says it I mean, there's not there, like there's other not like characters, but like that, like the driver of the truck who oh, yeah. is honking at Raymond when he's in the road. But also, you know, so yeah, so pretty believable. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I, I'm not saying it's point. I'm not saying point it's right. Made. I'm Your not point saying is it's made. right. Um, and sequel, you know, would be, I don't know. Nobody what, wants that. What would you do? Nobody wants well, I yeah. mean, catching up with what them is it just... 30 years later or whatever, you know, but it's like, who wants that? Nobody wants that. Um, the only thing that I would want, because I know that Dustin Hoffman really shaped this character, especially, uh, be, you know, centering it around this one gentleman. Um, his name is Kim. I don't remember his full name. But yeah. uh, they formed a very strong bond, and I know that uh, Dustin Hoffman became close with a lot of other people who experience autism. Um, and yeah, Kim Peek. Kim Peek. That's what it is. And I know that there yeah. was he was the he was the inspiration for the 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 original writer for Barry Morrow, and Dustin Hoffman also then sure. spent time with him. But he was. Yeah, he was already connected to the to the project. I feel like I would want, and I I do believe there is some sort of documentary about Kim Peek, but I would love to see, you know, while the people who are responsible for making this movie are still around, a documentary about making this movie, looking at it with a lens from today. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because... I meant to like earlier, earlier on, I meant to, I wanted to kind of address and talk about Barry Levinson, Uh the director of Rain Man. And, you know, I, he hasn't, I I don't believe he's, you know, done much directing of, of late, but he, and by the way, he also directed Wag the Dog Oh yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I, he he did he, rock the Casbah in 2015, but I think that's the last thing. Yeah, I mean, I think he does more uh, producing producing now. Um, oh, he did that Joe Paterno movie. I think that was for. for oh, HBO. did he? So, 
Yeah. But Barry Levinson in like 80s Barry Levinson is hit after hit after hit. I mean, oh, oh. young Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Tootsie. Diner. No, he didn't do Tootsie. That was Sidney Pollock. Oh. Oh, he um He did Diner. He, he was a writer he on diner. Tootsie. That's what it was. Oh, he was Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Good morning, Vietnam. Um, Good morning, Vietnam. Ten Men. If you haven't seen Ten Men, that's a gem. That mm-hmm. is an overlooked gem with Richard Dreyfus and Danny DeVito. And it's got kind of the Barry... the ba- There was like the Barry Levinson cast that actually I think just worked on... It was like Ten Men and Good Morning Vietnam had almost the same cast, you know, swapping it out... Robin Williams and swapping, swapping out Robin Williams and Forrest Whitaker and uh-huh. swapping in, you know, DeVito, um, uh, uh, Danny DeVito, Richard Dreyfus and Barbara Hershey, but, uh, Tin Men's fantastic Avalon, uh, which I don't think was a big hit for him, but I remember that being, a a, a really nice movie and Bugsy 1991, right. he got nominated for best, best director f- yeah. for that. And honestly, like that's a great movie. And nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean Barry Levinson, Barry Barry Levinson, he's Barry Levinson still around. Larry Bevinson is what I call him. He's, Larry Bevinson. He's still around. <laughs> is, uh, is Laura here? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, she's haunting my vocabulary. <laughs> uh, so I. Also, to be able to hear from psychologists, people who can give more context about um, the autism spectrum and uh, and autistic savants. Um, Well, also maybe how the movie affected people living with autism when it came out. Of course. And like, what was it like for families, not necessarily the people themselves, but like, what was it like for their families to see autism you know, portrayed and, and, and kind of given this, you know, exposure. Yeah. So I'd be, yeah. So that would be interesting. My other thought is just two words, cave painting. I'm so glad you didn't say musical adaptation. <laughs> not that I didn't think of it. <laughs> not that I, it's just, it's, it's kind of, I, I, just, I feel like do, you can't have a, no, this is not a musical Except for there's when there's a dance, there's a dance scene, and there's also when uh, he sings, um, "I saw her standing there." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and I uh, another. So, just and I'm trying to. There's not really a solid connection here, other than the like a main character having autism. But there's a wonderful book, and I know it's been adapted into a play. I haven't seen it. But The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by mm. Mark Haddon is written from the perspective of a boy with autism. Oh, really? And it, 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 I mean, I don't know. I can't, I could not possibly say how accurate it is in sure. portraying that perspective. But, like, it it, it feels it feels right. It mm-hmm. is a, it, it's an excellent book. So I highly recommend that. Throw it on your reading list, folks. <laughs> Visit the library, yeah. La Bibliothèque. And uh, speaking of the library, Dan and I just put holds on some movies for our next episode. 
Oh yeah. Well, you know what? We decided after watching Rain Man and and really appreciating the performance of Tom Cruise here and and looking at his career today, we're just gonna we're gonna cruise through October. We're gonna take yeah. we're gonna devote October's episodes to Tom Cruise. Yeah. And um, you know, with Rain Man, we kind of hit his. You know, we're hitting his entry into that superstardom, but also like respected actor status. We're going to take it back almost all the way to the beginning to 1983's Risky Business. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm excited about it. I watched it maybe about five years ago. Um, but I, you know, I'm looking forward to checking it out again. Uh, it's one of those movies that it's so iconic. I, uh, in a lot of different ways, and I don't know. It's got Curtis Armstrong in it, and it's a serious movie. It does so. It, it has Curtis. It has Bronson Pinchot not doing an accent. Yeah. And Serge. Yeah. So I don't. I haven't <laughs> Serge. Serge. Sounds like a laundry Get detergent. The fuck out of here! <laughs> no, I cannot. I tell you again. <laughs> All right, uh, Bronson Pinchot and Beverly Hills Cop. So good. Um. So yeah, he's. Uh, so I'm excited. I haven't seen Risky Business in a, in a long time. Well, we're going to talk about it in a week. All right. Well, I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. Uh, John. Hey, before we wrap up, I want to thank everybody for yeah. listening. Uh, yes. Check us out on Instagram at Ruined Childhoods Pod. If you have any thoughts, email us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to discuss your thoughts on uh, uh, an episode. Um, it could be about any of the movies we've talked about. This is yeah. episode 30 freaking four, baby. 34. Yeah. 34. So email us. I mean, at, like if you have questions, if there's anything you kind of want to, you know, pick our brains about. Or if you have an any idea. Movies you'd like to hear us. If you, yeah. yeah. If you have an idea for a remake or a sequel or something for any of the movies we talked about. Love to hear it. Please. Yes. Participate. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. There's no participation. Great, but please do. All right. John, good journey. Good journey, Dan. Right.